6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of 1 Chronicles, chapters 10 through 13. Earlier, Saul had done Jabesh Gilead some major favors. And so they felt, even though he's dead, they felt an allegiance to him in that sense. So they arose all the valiant men and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and brought them to Jabesh and buried their bones under the oak at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Glib little verse, but doesn't really get across the fact that these were valiant men. They probably took great jeopardy in going to Bet-Shan to, to recover the bodies to give it a decent burial. And so that's a testimony to their regard, if you will, of Saul. So the chronicler continues, So Saul died for his transgressions, which he committed against the Lord. Get the point here. See, the chronicler is giving you an editorial comment here. Saul died, not because the Philistines killed him. He died for his transgressions, which, which he committed against the Lord. What were those transgressions? That's a great exam question. He failed to kill the king of Agag, and he consulted the witch at Endor, just for starters, there's a lot of others. Even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. So there's the witch of Endor issue coming up. And inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. That's a quick editorial summary by the chronicler himself. I want to alert you to that. In the book of Chronicles especially... As we go through history, you'll see little verses inserted that reflect an opinion that, in effect, is the opinion of God about the... See, you can say, why, how, why was Saul killed? Well, the Philistines killed him. No, he died because he transgressed against the Lord. And that's not, that's not a Chuck Missler opinion or whoever. This is a chronicler's opinion. And we're going to discover when we get to Chronicles 35 a couple of verses that have been overlooked by most scholars that will really unravel, probably, some of the biggest mysteries of the Ark of the Covenant. So when we get there, I'll hold that out to you. It's going to be kind of fun when we get there because the Ark of the Covenant has a history that's documented that everybody's overlooked. It's documented in Second Chronicles 35 as well as archaeological evidence that we've been able to find, discover. So we'll talk about that as we go along. In any case, David's on the, on the scene now, so that brings us to chapter 11, the reign of David. Then all Israel gathered themselves to David unto Hebron, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. To get the picture, you need to understand the politics here. He had been ruling in Hebron for seven years, but just over two tribes, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, which are loyal to him personally. But now what's happened is then all Israel gathered together with, uh, unto Hebron. And moreover in time past, even when Saul was king, thou wast he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel. 
And the Lord thy God said unto thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be ruler over my people Israel. And so now this is where, from God's point of view, David is really king, because he's king now over all Israel, not just a couple of his loyal tribes, all 12 in effect. And uh, so this is when he really got going. We are, um, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Those are strong terms from Israel, the northern, northern group of tribes. Therefore came all the elders of Israel to the king, to Hebron, and David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jabez, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. And so, again, a glib phrase that involved a conquest, which they undertook, and a Jebus, which becomes Jerusalem, is midway between. See, it's actually, Jerusalem is really not in Judah. It's on the, on the border. It's actually in, in Benjamin. But this is a good choice because it's, it's a compromise between the north and the south in a, in a tribal sense. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zuriah, went first up and was chief. Zuriah is a half-sister of, uh, of uh, David. And David dwelt in the castle, therefore they called it the city of David. Let's talk a little bit about geography. There's Mount Moriah going vertically here on the chart, if you will. And the, the, the outlines there are the walls that Solomon was later going to build. North is to the top in this little sketch. Mount Zion is on the west side. And Mount of Olives on the east side. There's valleys. There's a ridge going up between them. The ridge between Mount Zion and this ridge is called the Teropian Valley. It's been filled in since. Between this ridge and to the eastern side, Mount of Olives, is the Kidron Valley. So if you visualize three, three ridges, if you will, Mount Zion, Mount of Olives on the extreme with a ridge up between them, you get the picture with the Hinnom Valley going along the south. Let me show you this on a topological map, which is a little more descriptive. So, oh, by the way, City of David is in the southern tip of it, also called Ophel there. And uh, uh, later on, David will buy the area that later becomes the temple. And uh, this is an area where it's difficult to separate Jewish traditions from actual facts. It's because they have beliefs about this that are not necessarily correct. But there's a Gihon Spring that's a source of water that was outside the wall. So Hezekiah, in his day, builds this uh, tunnel that goes to the Pool of Siloam to provide the water within the city. And that's one of the things you want to do when you're Israel if you want to go knee-deep in water to go through the Hezekiah's tunnel. But in any case, here's, the, here's a topo map. The lines represent 10-meter segments. And uh, we have Mount Zion, the high part on the west side there, and Mount of Olives, the high point on the east side. And there's a ridge system up the center. And uh, obviously, the Kidron Valley is the valley between that ridge system and Mount of Olives to the east. And the Tropian Valley is the valley between the ridge system and uh, Mount Zion. And the Hinnom Valley is at the south. So that's a rough picture of the topography, okay? Now, Salem is the southern part. This is where, in Genesis 14, Melchizedek is encountered and so forth. A place called Salem, and here it's now run by the Jebusites, and, and, and David conquers it from the Jebusites. 
Later on, he's going to purchase, going uphill, up near the top, but at the top, there's a saddleback up there that's a thrashing floor. And he purchases that, purchases that thrashing floor, and that will later become the site of the temple. Now, there's a Jewish tradition that's also Abram offered Isaac for a number of reasons. I suspect he did it at the top of the hill, not halfway up. When you get to the top of the hill, at the peak, there's a place called Golgotha. And uh, it starts, the, the ridge starts about 600 meters above sea level at the south, climbs to about 741 meters above sea level at the, temp, at the thrashing floor, but it continues up to 777, strangely, uh, at Golgotha. I don't make anything of the numbers. People like the 777. Wouldn't that be exciting? Well, that's an artifact of the measuring system. But, uh, and, uh, but as, the, as, as the custodian of the garden tomb often points out, if God wanted us on the metric system, he would have had 10 disciples, see? So, there's, the, there's a blow-up of that particular segment. Okay, let's continue. First Chronicles 11, 8th verse. And he built the city roundabout, even from Milo roundabout, and Joab repaired the rest of the city, the part that they tore down conquering it. So David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. That's a big statement. That's a big statement. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. We're not going to have a whole lot of details about the mighty men of David. And if you're really interested in how his army and who his heroes are, you may want to pay a lot of attention. We're going to just slip through this rather quickly. This is the number of mighty men whom David had. Jashubim, the, uh, and Ahachmanite, the chief of the captains, he lifted up a spear against 300 slain by him at one time. These guys were, <laughs> were pretty skilled warriors. These are the best of the best. Can you imagine with a spear killing 300 guys that's, that are not, you know, not, not willing participants here? They're fighting you, 300 of them. After him was Eliezer, son of Dodo, the Ehohite, who was one of the three mighties. These are the top three guys. He was with David at Pasdamim, and there were Philistines, and there uh, the Philistines were gathered together to battle where there was a parcel of ground full of barley, and the people fled from before the Philistines. And they set themselves in the midst of that parcel, delivered it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. So these, this is the inner circle. Joab is actually David's nephew, son of his half-sister, Zerah. Jeshurun, he's the chief of the officers. He's the, he slayed the 300 at one time. In 2 Samuel 23, it says 800 fled. And people think, well, gee, there's a discrepancy. No, 300 were killed, 500 left. <laughs> so that's, I believe, the way you resolve that issue. But it's, just, it's conjecture. And Eliezer also dis distinguished himself. And Shama, he's not mentioned here, but he is mentioned in 2 Samuel as part of the, the top bunch here. Now three of the 30 captains went down to the rock to David, to the cave of Dullam. And the host of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. We're going to talk more about Rephaim later, but it's a, for this purpose, it's just a location not far from Jerusalem. And David was then in the, in, the, in the hold, and the Philistines' garrison was then at Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just south of, of Jerusalem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is at the gate. In other words, Bethlehem is where the Philistines are camped. And David, in a casual remarks, yearned for just a cup of water from the well at Bethlehem is something he wanted. Well, these three guys, they break through the host of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. That must have impressed him, except David would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord. 
My God forbid it me that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy? For with the jeopardy of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mightiest. So the three mighty guys certainly delivered it. But David had the character or the, or the, uh, the, the uh, presence of mind not to take advantage of it. Anyway, Abeshai, the brother of Joab, he was the chief of the three, lifting up a spear against 300. He slew them and had a name among the three, but I can imagine. Of the three, he was more honorable than the two, but he, for he was their captain, howbeit he attained not the first three. So there's two different groups of three he's talking about here. Benaiah, the son of Jehida, the son of valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab, also went down and slew a lion in a pit in a snowy day. So <laughs> this guy, these, these are the, the top guys. And uh, the, uh, the, the, he, he, he will slew, he, I think the next verse will tell you about the, uh, he slew an Egyptian that's uh, seven and a half feet high. Uh, in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam. He went down to him with a staff and he plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. <laughs> you don't mess around with this guy. These things did Benaiah, son of Jehida, and he had a name among the three mighties, and he's going to get promoted uh, uh, the, uh, by uh, uh, Solomon's going to advance him in the place of Joab later. And uh, behold, he was honorable among the thirty, but attained not to the first three. David set him over his guard. And also the valiant men of the armies were Ashel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shemoth, the Hararite, Helez, the Pelonite, uh, Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite, Abiezer, the Antithite, uh, Maharai, the Netophathite. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing most of these, but I'll leave you to correct me when you're in the mood. Uh, Helen, the son of Baana, the Netophathite. Ethai, the son of Ribai, the, of Gibeah, that pertained to the children of Benjamin, Benai, the Pirathanite, Hurai, the brooks of Gash, Abiel, the Arbathite, uh, Asmaveth, and the Baharumite, Eliabah, the Shalbanite. You know, you go through these names, um, and on the one hand, we can't really pronounce them right. We don't know much about them. A few of them, we have anecdotal indications that they were pretty formidable people. But it's interesting that God keeps a record. And uh, I'm among those that suspect that you are in this record. You're written in this book. I have this theory that the Bible itself is the book of life, and that your name, if you're in the book of life, is encrypted in the Scriptures. And uh, every, all the research has been done on, on equidistant letter sequences, which are linear transforms. No one, to my knowledge, has really got, attacked polynomials. And uh, I'm not sure there's merit in doing that for a number of other reasons, but uh, it won't surprise me at all if we discover, strangely enough, that our names are here too, if you're serving God. If you're, in, if you're saved by Christ. I just throw that out as a thought. Anyway, the sons of Hashem, the Gizanite, Jonathan, the son of Shag, the Hararite, uh, Hayim, the son of Sekar, the Hararite, and Elaphal, the son of Ur, uh, Nefer, the Merkarathite, Ahijah, the Pelonite, uh, Hezro, the Carmelite, and Neari, the son of Esbei, Joel, the brother of Nathan, and Mibar, the son of Hagarai, Zelek, the Ammonite, and Hatnaharai, the Barathite, and the armor-bearer of Joab, the son of Zerai, and Ira, the Ithrite. These, these labels, by the way, are not necessarily ethnic. They're sometimes geographical. It's like saying John the Californian, if you will. So, he doesn't, it's, it's, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of commonality between the place names and previous people, and yet it does, it's not necessarily one for one. Anyway, 
Adina the son of Ashiza, the Reubenite, the captain of the Reubenites, and 30 with him. Hanan the son of Makar, the Joshaphat, and the Mithanite, Uziah, the Ephererite, the Shama, and Jehiel, the sons of Hothan and Ararite. And, uh, <laughs> now, uh, before we leave the slide, though, you notice in uh, verse 41 there, Uriah the Hittite. I missed, I wanted to catch that one because he's going to be very important in the life of David because that's Bathsheba's husband that David arranges to murder. So he's one of the mighty men. He's not just a soldier, he's one of the key guys. Jadael, the son of Shimri, the Johah, his brother, the Tizite, Ithiel, the Mahavite, and Jeremiah, the, and, and uh, Joshaviah, the sons of Elanam, and Ithma, the Moabite, Ethiel and Obed, and Jeziel, and Meshavite. Okay. I'm just as glad as you are that that's over. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 12. Now these are they that came to David, to Ziklag, while he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. So these are the insiders. They were with them in the dark days. They were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. Benjamites were terrifying guys, if you know their history. And uh, when they say hurling stones, they don't mean with their hands. They're talking with a sling. Very skilled in that. And uh, so these guys are, are, are able with weapons. With both the right and left hand. I think that's kind of exciting. The chief was Ahizer, then Joash, the sons of Shimea, and the Gibeathite, and Jeziel, and Pelet, and the sons of Asmaveth, and Beracha, and Jehu, the Anthonite, and Ishmael, the Gibeonite, the mighty man among the thirty and over the thirty, and Jeremiah, the Jeziel, and Johanan, and Jezebed, and Gederathite, and Eluzai, and Jeremoth, and Belial, and Shemariah, and Sheph. Attire the heart. And none of this will be on, uh, let me relax, none of this will be on the final exam. Okay. All right. Elkanah and Josiah and Jezreel and Yozer and Jezreel and the Korahites and Jola and Zebediah and the sons of Jeroham and Gedor and of the Gadites, that's the tribe of Gad, they're separated themselves unto David unto, into the hold, into the wilderness, men of might and men of war, fit for the battle that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as the roes, or gazelles, if you will, upon the mountains. Ezra the first, Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmana the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Atai the sixth, Eliel the seventh, Johanan the eighth, Elzabad the ninth, Jeremiah the tenth, Machpaniah the eleventh. These were the sons of Gad, captains of the host. One of the least was over a hundred, and the greatest over a thousand. These are they that went over the Jordan in the first month when it had overflown all its banks and they put to flight all them uh, of the valleys both toward the east and toward the west and there came of the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold unto David. And David went out to meet them and answered said unto them, If ye come peaceably unto me to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. But if ye come to betray me to mine enemies, seeing there is no wrong in mine hands, the God of our fathers look thereon and rebuke it. And the Spirit came upon Amasai who was the chief of the captains, and said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thou son of Jesse. Peace, peace be unto thee, peace be to thy helpers, for thy God helpeth thee. Then David received them and made them captains of the band. 
So there's a recognition among these mighty men that God's hand was on David, and they are obviously siding with him. And there fell some of Manasseh to David when he came to the Philistines against Saul to battle, but they helped them not. For the lords of the Philistines, upon advisement, sent him away, saying, He will fall to his master Saul to the jeopardy of our heads. As he went to Ziklag, there fell to him of Manasseh, Adna, Jozebad, Jediel, Michael, Jozebad, Elihu, and Zilthi, captains of the thousands that were of Manasseh. And they helped David against the band of the rovers, for they were all mighty men of valor. They were captains of the host. For at that time, day by day, there came to David to help him, until it was a great host like the host of God. These are the numbers of the bands that ready armed to war and came to David to Hebron to turn to the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. So this is expanding his rule far beyond Hebron now. The children of Judah that bear shield and spear were 6,800 ready armed to the war. Children of Simeon, mighty men of valor for the war, 7,100. Of the children of Levi, 4,600. Of Jehida, he was the leader of the Aaronites. With him were 3,700. And Zadok, the young man, mighty of valor. And of his father's house, 20 and two captains. And of the children of Benjamin, the kindred of Saul, 3,000. And hitherto the greatest part of them kept the ward of the house of Saul. And of the children of Ephraim, 20,800. Mighty men of valor, famous throughout the house of their fathers. And of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 which were expressed by name to come and make David king. And of the children of Issachar, which... Now this is a verse, by the way. Verse uh, um, uh, 32 here is a key verse for us in our institute. We springboard from this verse a whole... one of our three tracks in our institute. We have three basic paths of advancement. The Berean track, verse-by-verse study of the Bible. The Issachar track, taken from this verse... Uh, and it says here, and of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. The sons of Issachar becomes an idiom in our parlance of those that understand the times. And the second track of the three tracks is we call the Issachar track. It's our attempt to monitor and stay aware of the basic tr- strategic trends on our horizon, about a dozen of them. The third track is what we call Koinonos track. Many people might just call it discipleship, but it's more than that. It's ambassadorship. Um, and so uh, that's the doing of the word, if you will. And those three tracks are like three legs on a stool as far as the Institute's concerned. But we take the second track from this very verse. The children of Issachar understood the men had an understanding of the times to know what their country had to do. Moving on, of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle expert in war with all instruments of war, 50,000, could, which could keep rank, and they were not of double heart. And Naphtali, a thousand captains with them, the shield and spear, 37,000 of the Danites, expert in war, 28,600. And uh, so, and of Asher is what fourth of the battle, expert in war, 40,000 upon the other side of the Jordan, of the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe Manasseh, with all manner of instruments of war in battle, 120,000. And all these men of war that could keep rank came with perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest also of Israel, were of one heart to make David the king. And there they were with David three days, eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. So they all show, all the tribes are represented here to show support. And uh, so this is a time of great festivity. It's also a key time of political union here. Moreover, they that were nine of them, even unto Issachar and Zebedee and Naphtali, brought bread on asses and on camels and mules and on oxen and meat and meal and cakes of figs and bunches of raisins and wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly. For there was joy in Israel. 
So now we get to the ark. But before we get into the ark, I want to now pop back about a century earlier. And I threw this in here because I thought we could squeeze it in. And I think it's the hum most, one of the most humorous passages in the Bible. Um, and we're just going to review. If you want to re put in your notes, just uh, Samuel, first, uh, chapter four, uh, first Samuel 4 through 7 is the region. We're going to just extract some stuff here. But I think you'll get a kick out of it. We're back in 1 Samuel 5. The Philistines took the ark of God. They succeeded, they got, and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early in the morrow, <laughs> behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. That's some god they're worshiping. They took Dagon and set him up on his place again. <laughs> when they arose early in the, the morrow morning, Behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off from the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. This is just starting. This is just starting, gang. Hang in there. Therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor any that came to Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. They had a practice of stepping, not stepping on the threshold. From this, but let's move on. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon the, them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them with several plagues, by the way. One is expressly mentioned here. And smote them with emeralds. Now, what is an emeralds? Any guesses? Hemorrhoids. Yes, that, that would be our current term for it. Yes. Even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us. For his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. So they carried the ark of God of Israel about thither. And so it was so after they carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction and smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had hemorrhoids in their secret parts. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.